Hey, Reach Paramount, welcome to our podcast. Hey, this message is from our very own evangelist, John Tahaji, in a message entitled, The Subtlety of Dishonor. Enjoy this message. You guys can be seated. The Holy Spirit wrecked me during worship. Man, um, I just feel it's appropriate and uh, just always want to do this, but I want to honor our pastors, Pastor Omar and Sister Letty. I feel like since conference, there has been this new level of, of honor that I think as a church that we had, and some of you guys are newer and you guys seen that you're a part of something bigger and, ha- and it allowed you to see Pastor Omar, Sister, Sister Letty in a greater depth. Um, and it's just, we honor you. Church, we, church, do we honor our pastors? Um, and it's just on my heart and I feel it's appropriate uh, just to honor our assistant pastors. Uh, God's armor bearers, Pastor Isaac and Liz, Pastor Robin Carley. Uh, I want to honor my mentors, Pastor Sam and Lulu Rivera. They're in South Carolina, so they're probably asleep. Um, But I love you guys. I want to honor my wife. I love you. Um, You're the best. My wife is on the worship team. Uh, You'll figure out who she is another time, but she's dope. Um, And then uh, then lastly, uh, maybe not lastly, but uh, just want to honor my friend Diga. He's the evangelist of this house, and and he's just been such an inspiration to me, to some of you, and God bless his ministry, and, and he's just been such a, uh, a great inspiration to me. Uh, and lastly, I want to honor you guys. I want to thank you guys, your words of encouragement, um, just some of your friendships. And I don't know you, but I see the work that God's doing in some of you, and I'm just thankful. I'm just glad to be a part of it. So um, I'm excited to get into this word, so I'm going to pray. Father, Holy Spirit, I need you now. I I decrease, Lord, so you may increase. And I pray, Father, that I rid myself of all pride, of of any feeling or any reason that I deserve this. But I ask you, Lord, that you have prepared this word in my heart. I'm just a mouthpiece. I'm just a vessel. Will you deliver these words, Father, from my mouth into the hearts of your people? Every single person, I pray they would have their heart open in reverence to what it is that you want to do here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Daniel. Uh, So... I want to read uh, real quick. I'm going to lay down some context as we go deeper into the word. Numbers chapter 4, verse 15. It says this. After Aaron and his sons have finished covering the holy furnishes and all the holy articles, when the camp is ready to move, only then are the Kohathites to come and do the carrying. But they must not touch the holy things or they will die. The, Go- the Kohathites are to carry those things that are in the tent of meeting. The tent of meeting was something that uh, it was... It was God gave specific instruction to Moses to create the tent of meeting. And it was after that Moses had uh, uh, delivered the Israelites, that God had used Moses to deliver the Israelites from Egypt. And they were wandering in the desert. So they created the tent of meeting. And inside of the tent of meeting was the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant was, was, was so important because that's where the two tablets, which we know as the Ten Commandments, were also placed inside. It was specifically instructed. God told him, exact, told Moses exactly how you're supposed to build it. And, um, and it's also known as where God, where his presence sits. So um, also inside of it, other than the, the Ten Commandments, was uh, later on was added was Aaron's rod, which represented God's power and his authority. And then also a jar of manna uh, that was covered in gold, which, which we know is, is Christ is the eternal manna, which representing of Christ. So... Um, Here we go. Let's read 1 Chronicles chapter 13, verse 7 through 12. 
They moved the ark of God from Abinadab's house on a new cart with Uzzah and Ahio guarding it, guiding it, sorry. David and all the Israelites were celebrating with all their might before God with songs and with harps, lyres, trembles, cymbals, and trumpets. When they came to the threshing floor of Kidon, Uzzah reached out his hand to steady the ark because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah and he struck him down because he had put his hand on the ark. So he died before God. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, that place is called Perez Uzzah. David was afraid of God that day and asked, how can I, how can I ever bring the ark of God to me? This message is, it's such an important, it's so important to me because it was part of the revelation that God has given me just to really grow and be kind of where I am today and get a deeper understanding and not play religion and not play all these other things that I did growing up, but to really understand who he was. And I kind of feel like David, as first, I was angry with God when I heard what he did with Uzzah. And then I was fearful. This is, this is, this was the thought process is why would God kill Uzzah? Why would he do such a thing? He was obviously, um, he was obviously ordained and he was, he was chosen as a Kohathite, as a Levite to carry the Ark of the Covenant. He was also, he was, he was an Israelite. He believed in God. He was part of God's army. He served under David. Why would God kill him when he had good intentions? He was looking after the heart, after the Ark, which, which is holy, which was precious. What else was he supposed to do? And God killed him. After all, many scriptures show us that God is not harsh. He's not cruel. He, he's, not, he's not vindictive. Rather, God is love, and we believe that. But can I tell you, like, what drastic punishment for good intentions? But I want to tell you, our actions may be well-intentioned, but the outcome is serious when it is contrary to God's commands. The subtle deception and dishonor to God comes when we forsake his word and live off of good intentions. I understand God looks at the heart. But in this circumstance, in this situation, it's not the thought that counts. When it comes to the disobedience of his word, our heart is deceiving, even when we have good intentions like Uzzah. In Jeremiah, the, the, it says that the heart is deceitful, and above all things, it is deceitful and desperately sick. Who can understand it? It's important to act in accordance with the will of God. Do exactly as God instructs but when we begin to use our own reasoning or diminish his instructions the consequences are always serious christians today and western christianity christians in america what's all i know is christians in america is we like to live the word of god out of context we will like to grab any scripture we can and make it fit our narrative thinking that it's just supposed to work we actually like to get online and like to look up motivational speakers and like to look up motivational quotes before we'll find a proverb that will actually test our faith. And Christians today like to do this. In 2 Timothy 4.3, it says, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. I used to box. I used to travel. I used to compete. I used to go to other places and meet different athletes. I'm a, I'm a sports fan myself. I like, you know, the most, most of the general sports. And, and, and there's a UFC champion. He even has a scripture on him. It's Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
And I've, and I've noticed that a lot of athletes, uh, because it's kind of what I surrounded myself with, and, and even people when they're trying to attain something, this is their favorite go-to Bible verse. But when we can really, really understand the context of what is happening, then we'll gain understanding of what it actually means. And we won't just grab anything to make it fit our own narrative. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And for these people, the all things that Christ empowers them to do is to accomplish, uh, uh, that what God wants them to accomplish includes fulfilling their dreams, climbing new heights, or embracing their destiny. Do you want a job promotion? Do you want to find your soulmate? You want to make more money? Well, you can accomplish because you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. But can I tell you, if we were literally just to read the two verses before that, we would know exactly what is happening. Paul was in prison when he wrote to the church of Philippi. Uh, it's known as the prison epistles. And so we're going to read literally two verses. Philippians 4, chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 11. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Paul isn't telling Christians that they should dream bigger dreams. He's reminding them that they can endure the crushing feeling when those dreams are defeated and not realized. He's not encouraging Christians to go out and conquer the world. What he's reminding them is that they can press on when the world has conquered them. God is not our heavenly bellhopper. He is not our divine sugar daddy. I don't need a God that motivates me to pursue my career dreams, to trace down opportunities for my own personal advancement. I possess that drive on my own. Instead, I need a God that will come down from his heavenly place, down to life in trenches with me, who isn't afraid to get messy and wade with me when there's tragedy, pain, and failure. God is a sustainer when life isn't sustainable. How about you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you when your marriage is failing? When you're the only one in your house serving the Lord, when you got a doctor's report that you're not going to have kids, when you got a doctor's report saying you're only going to live this long, how about you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you when you're struggling with worry, addiction, with, uh, with the same sex preference. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you when it comes to the will for his life, the advancement for his kingdom, not your own selfish motives and ambition. Culture has made us so irreverent to God and his word. And it's the subtlety of dishonor. And that's what I want to talk to, talk to you guys about, is the subtlety of dishonor. Too often the standard of determining what is good is approached from our own vantage point, our own personal opinion, what is right in our own eyes. Yet, as the incident with Uzzah shows, what is right in our own eyes is completely irrelevant and frequently disastrous. God gives us clear-cut life instructions. If you believe in the Bible, if you believe in the Word of God, that the Holy Spirit breathed on it, that He is the one and true author and publisher of the Holy Bible, then you would understand that God gives us clear-cut instructions. Not only that, but He also gave us Jesus to live that life perfectly for us as an example. Not only that, but when Jesus died on the cross, when he rose again, God gave us the Holy Spirit. And because we lack reverence, 
or because there's little to no fear of God, we disobey thinking that there are no consequences. But can I tell you that the wages of sin is death? I want to show you how severe, just an example of how severe dishonor is to God. Romans chapter 1, verse 29 through 32. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossip, slanders, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do those very things, but also approve of those who practice them. This sounds like a lot of America to me. I don't know any, anywhere else in the world but America. And now, more than ever, it's starting to sound like some churches in America. And it's scary. There's no reverence. The subtlety of dishonor has crept up. And we are not showing the proper reverence and honor. Not just to God in his glory, but to his word, to his house, to his church, to one another. This is the verdict. Regarding the Bible verse I just read. In John chapter 3 verse 19. Light has come into the world. But the people love darkness instead of the light. Because their deeds were evil. The sad fact. Is that God sometimes. Will give us exactly what we want. God allowed the Israelites who rebelled. To reap the natural consequences of their choice. In Psalms 81, verse 11 through 12, it says, But my people would not listen to me. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own devices. It's not that God abandoned them. It's just that he gave them exactly what they wanted. In Romans chapter 1, the verse that I just read, Paul shows how wicked, how wicked it is that we, when we reject God, that the choice set to them on a, he set them on a downward spiral, increasing darkness and decreasing hope. As the godless run further and further from God, God will intervene less and less. It's not that he left you or forsake you, forsaken you or forsaken them. It's just he gave them exactly what they wanted. Their hearts became hard to the Holy Spirit, to the conviction. And the spirit's restraint of sin is a blessing. And if that restraint is removed, then wickedness follows. If you're feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit, even now, can I tell you, you're in a good place. If you feel the conviction tomorrow, you're in a good place. Why? Because the conviction of the Holy Spirit isn't to condemn us, but it's to, it's to guide us and drive us towards the cross, towards the power of Jesus, the restoration power of his love. The prophet Isaiah, in the book of Isaiah, he shared this. He said, in that year that King Uzzah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Out of all the attributes that the angels could be singing of, they sing of how holy he is. Not of how loving, 
Not of how gracious and how merciful, how patient, how slow to anger he is. They're singing how holy he is. And I believe that the reason why is because God will never compromise his holiness. God is a God of love and he is a very definition of love. But too often we confuse his holiness and righteousness with him being unloving and cruel. Our disobedience to God dooms us. Our disobedience, not God. The Bible tells us that God does not tempt us because there is no evil in him. He cannot tempt us. And the reason why is because God is literally giving us every access to him. He has given us his son, Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody gets to the father but through him. So for a God to give in, a, he literally bankrupt heaven for you and I. He gave it all. And the reason why he won't tempt us is because he won't be responsible for us going to hell. He gave it all. So our sin dooms us. Jesus was tempted, but he didn't sin. Temptation does not come from God. David became angry with God. I mentioned this as I read the verse and how I even became angry and I didn't understand says David became angry with God. But in reality, David wasn't angry with God. David was angry with David for his mistake. David was angry with Uzzah for his mistake. And David's anger turned to fear when he realized that God was not going to accept man's ways of doing religion. The Bible says the clear instruction when God had given the instruction to build the ark, he gave it to Moses and he said, the Levites are supposed to carry it. They're supposed to carry it. Remember the Kohathites? They're supposed to carry it. They're not supposed to touch it. I'm going to go back a little. The Philistines had defeated the Israelite army. God had given them up. And he was, he was, he was showing his sovereignty at the same time. But listen, Philistines defeated Israel. And at the same time, they got the Ark of the Covenant. It was in their possession now. They stole it. It was theirs. And what they did was they put it in their tent of meeting with their god, Dagon. That's the God that they served. They literally touched the ark. They grabbed it and they put it in their tent. And in the Bible, it says that one day they walk in and their God was laying face down on the floor. Their statue was laying face down on the floor. So what they did, the Philistines, they picked it back up. Weather, I don't know. There was an earthquake. Nobody knew. Who knows? Then the next day, the statue of Dagon was on the floor again. But this time his head and his hands were broken off. Any city that the Philistines had the Ark of the Covenant that didn't belong to them, anytime it was in a certain city, that whole city experienced famine. That whole city got a disease and most of them died. So they moved it around and they moved it around. And for seven months, they realized this isn't going to work. So lastly, what they said, if this Ark of the Covenant is really, really belongs to God and his people, this is what we're going to do. We're going to put it on some cows, not ox, some cows. Cows don't carry things. They provide milk. That's it. They don't, they don't do anything. So they get, some, they get some cows. They separate them from their calves. And they say, okay, well, if this really belongs to God, then these cows who are completely incapable of carrying this heavy ark will deliver it back to the Israelites. And guess what? It gets back to the Israelites. So how was it that the Philistines were able to touch what God had told Moses that nobody was supposed to touch or else you'll die. God tolerates the world because of its ignorance. 
They don't read scripture. They don't pursue holiness. They don't pursue righteousness. They're not sitting here on a midweek trying to draw close to the Lord. But for the church, the work of God cannot be accompanied. It cannot be accomplished using carnal methods. We must do it the way God says to do it. The truth is the truth and it doesn't change for anybody. God's command is the same. It doesn't matter who it's for. When it's regarding his children, his people, we must obey his commandments. Let's, let's summarize a little. Refusing to follow the directions God laid down does not make God go away. He's still there. He's still watching over you. God will not be mocked. You will be held accountable for every single thing you do. The way you treat your wife, the way you treat your children. The way you come to this church, the way you serve. God will not be mocked. God makes the rules and we're blessed when we follow them. We don't have, maybe we don't have any arcs to transport today in Christianity. But we do have commands that have to be obeyed. Always keep in mind that God means what he says and he says what he means. There's no ands, ifs, or buts about it. Whether it be how to become a child of God, how to live as a child of God, how to worship God, or how to deal with our fellow man. God has given us instruction on how it should be done. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, and righteousness. I have, uh, I've had the privilege of being a part of this church for, uh, it'll be 21 years next month. Yeah, long time. And... Oh, uh, yeah, that's cool. Uh, so I've had the privilege of leading a connect group uh, in this church. And when I say it's a privilege, it's an absolute privilege. And I've noticed that people come and they, they look like they fit in and they worship and they shout to God and, and everything looks great. But the moment that accountability comes, it's kind of hard for them to really accept the God-given leadership in a church, the accountability that is in the word of God, because it's not, um, it's not convenient for them. And this is what the word of God is here for, is that we live in correction, that we live our life according to the biblical principles, not the culture around us. And far too many times, uh, and, and it's so unfortunate that people will compare their lives with the faulty leadership or the faulty example of other people rather than the word. Well, so-and-so is living in sin, so it must be okay. Well, if this is a standard of, of, of leadership, then, then I can do it. And in reality, you're dooming yourself because we live off of the word and not other people's lives. We compare our lives to the word and not what so-and-so is doing next to us. Sincerity of the heart does not change disobedience to obedience. And this is what the life of, of us is, shows us. Good motives do not exempt anyone from being obedient. There is no doubt that Uzzah did not have uh, any ill will towards God. Or he, he didn't have any, any, he had no intended slight against God. But by seeking to keep the ark from falling and possibly being broken up, that sincerity of heart did not alleviate the responsibility that was required of obedience. We can be sincere in religion. We can do things out of a great heart. 
I know a lot of people that do things out of a great heart. I can name a bunch of philanthropists, a bunch of charities, nonprofit organizations that do things out of a good heart. But when I tell you, God has given us a commandment. God is showing us how to live holy, how to live righteous. And we cannot forsake his word and be irreverent and not honor exactly what he's saying to do. Time does not nullify or change God's commands. It has been some 400 years since God had given the command to Moses. And now David and Uzzah are responsible. It's been 400 something years. And the command was the same. You must carry it and you must not touch it. And we hear often, very often, well, things were different back then. That doesn't apply to us in modern times. But the fact is that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God has not changed, and his word and commands have not changed either. Man may have changed. Man actually changed in many ways. I think like 59 ways, to be exact. (laughs) Accepting and even making things legal that God condemned. But they are still condemned. God still means what he said. There's a lot of lessons to be learned from this context and from from what I'm sharing. But the main thing that will cover it all up, the only right way to do the will of God is to do it the way that he said. There's no other way. The The ark had stayed for a period of time at Abinadab's house. It says that, you know, after they had got it back from the Philistines, the ark of the covenant stayed in Abinadab's house. Who were Abinadab's sons? Uzzah and Ahio. They were the ones that were driving the cart when Uzzah touched it. There's this popular saying, um, familiarity breeds contempt. Could it have been that Uzzah and Ahio had, had grown accustomed to the presence of God? Could it be that they had gotten used to his holiness, his presence, his goodness, It was in his own home. And maybe, just maybe, he was likely to forget what the holiness represented. There are times when we too fail to recognize the holiness of God becoming too familiar and and live with him with an irreverent attitude. I fear the Lord. The Bible tells us that um, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. And you may feel the tangible presence of God. And you may walk into this place. But the Bible tells us that where two or three are gathered, he is there in the midst. Maybe you're experiencing the tangible presence of God because of somebody else's faithfulness and not your own. Could it be? We become so familiar and irreverent that we just go through the motions and we walk in this place living life however it is that we think we can, that there are no consequences To our actions. And God wants to give you revelation. God wants to break that old mindset that we live in. Even during worship. Even during the word. We're on our phones. And look, I get it. Like I'm on my phone because I have an important job. So what? We're in the back and we kind of just chill. And and we kind of let our kids, as long as they're in church, but they're in the back flirting with their friends. Like... I'm not trying to be religious or legalistic. This is the house of the Lord. And when, amen. And when we show reverence 
and honor to what God is doing in this place, our lives will begin to fall apart. They'll begin to fall in line to exactly what God wants to do in your life. Honor and reverence. We're trying to get so many other things. We're trying to get a prophetic word. We're trying to get this dope message that will make me feel good till Wednesday afternoon. And then I oppress myself and somehow need another word on Wednesday night. And then it's like, man, it's cool. I get to Friday and, and I get communion and, and community. And I oppress myself again for the weekend. Or I indulge in things I shouldn't to get me through the weekend. I've done it for so long. I said it. I've been in the church for 21 years. Probably not even saved for half of it. And you know what? You know what's kept me here the whole time? Was relationship with other people. There's something powerful when you get in connection with other believers, but that didn't make me saved. I've grown accustomed to the holiness. All of the things that I've heard as a child, all of the miracles that I've seen, we're a spoiled generation in America today. We're spoiled and deceived. That we think we deserve things. Familiarity breeds content. And Uzzah, could it have been that it was in his house for 20 years that he forgot the holiness? It's not a matter of, did we lose reverence? But where did we lose reverence? The ark is heavy. I get why they would want to use an ox. I understand And the ark was the Israelites' ministry. Think about it. God had given them this ministry, carry the ark. Wherever the tent of meeting goes, that's where I'm going to go. Wherever you've set up the tent of meeting, that's where my presence is going to dwell. And this was, it. This was a, the ministry of the Israelites. It was heavy. I get why they would want to use the ox. You know what else is heavy? The ministry in this house. The ministry that Pastor Omar has carried for all those years. That Sister Letty has carried for all those years. The ministry of, of leading a worship team for so long. The ministry of greeting people when, when you say hello, nobody even looks you in the eyes. Or the, the ministry of the children's church and the cafe. Sometimes the ministry gets heavy. And if we forget why we're doing it, we won't do it for long. I'm reminded of Moses. Familiarity breeds content. That's what we're on right now. God used Moses to rescue the Israelites from Egypt. And they wandered for so long. And God forgot, or Moses forgot how holy and how important it was to listen and hear God. So God tells Moses, Moses, speak to that rock. What does Moses do? Disobeyed God and he struck the rock with his rod. And another, another such a drastic punishment Moses, you led the people out of Egypt. You saw me split the sea. But because of your disobedience, you will not go into the promised land. It's important to obey the word of God. It's important to have reverence and honor exactly what the Lord says, exactly what he wants to do. But the subtlety of dishonor has crept in. And little do we know it, but we're so irreverent and dishonor in almost all that we do. Whether it's the way we do church. Whether it's the way that we pray. The way that we do worship. Listen, I'm not trying to condemn. But if God is speaking to you, allow him to show you. Not when you lost it, but where you lost it.
If I could have the worship team come up. This isn't my altar call. It's, it's just, we're going to simmer down. First Corinthians chapter three, verse 16 through 17. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person for God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. I believe another way that we honor God is that we honor each other, is that we honor his church. Is that we honor our pastors because they're worthy of double honor. Is that we honor our brother next to us and our sister next to us. Because we don't know what is going on in their lives. But it doesn't matter. Because God tells us to honor them. Because if you destroy God's temple, God would destroy you. I think about it. If I was to give, we were to lay out bricks in the front. Shout out Antifa. If we were to give you sledgehammers, would you walk in this church... And start beating the chairs. Would you grab a brick and would you throw it through the through the windows? Would you go around smashing everyone's windows in the parking lot? You wouldn't do that. You wouldn't physically harm the church. But time and time again, we physically harm the bride of Christ when we gossip, when we slander, when we put down other people in the church. And there is no honor in that. The subtlety of dishonor. First John chapter 4 verse 20. If anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he does not love his brother whom he has seen. Cannot love God who he, who he has not seen. Romans 12.10. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. You are God's temple. You are a part of the greatest thing that this world has to offer. And that is the temple of God. Let that settle in. For, for years, for years I wanted to achieve like the highest that I could in my sport. I wanted to be the best in any physical activity that I could. That I could. In a team sport, I wanted to be the best. At work, I wanted employee of the month. You could gain any social status. Your video on Instagram can blow up overnight. And you could attain what it is that the world desires. But can I tell you, you can't take that to heaven with you. Then what is it that a man gains the whole world but loses his soul? I am a part of the greatest thing that this world has to offer and it was given by God and God alone and that is to be a part of the body of Christ. I refuse to slander my brother. I refuse to gossip about so and so. And my goodness, I feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit because I too dishonor God in this way. We all fall short of the glory of God. Nobody is perfect. But sheep fall in the mud and the pigs they play in it there's a difference you were called to greater you were called to greater I am absolutely tired of this lie that you have to be validated that you have to be ordained that people have to give you a title for you to do something in the kingdom of God can I tell you that the Holy Spirit is your potential that he has given all that you need 
You want more ministry, but you have yet to even minister to your family. You want more ministry, but you're afraid to come out that you're a Christian at work. Our everyday lives are neglected because we weren't validated by so-and-so. If I waited to be validated by Pastor Omar as an ordained minister of the gospel, I wouldn't have done anything. I wouldn't be standing here right now. I wouldn't have friends that I'm able to invest in, people that I can call a disciple because I waited. But there are people here that didn't wait and that's why you're sitting in this seat. I'm telling you, you don't have to wait. You don't have to believe in the lie that if you're not given expression in the church, that if you're not doing anything in public with the microphone, that you're not doing anything for God. It is one of the biggest lies, but you are a part of one of the greatest movements on this earth, and that is advancing the kingdom of God with the person next to you. And if we long to honor the Lord, we must honor each other. You are God's temple. Can I tell you that Jesus talked about hell more than he talked about heaven? And the reason why was, if we're going to understand the fullness of the good news, if we're going to understand the fullness of the gospel, we must understand how bad it really is. How bad we really are. That we deserve death. But we don't hear that. We don't hear that much often. You don't feed yourself with that. And I believe that it's a product of why we are where we are. And when a real storm comes, it shows your faith. That we consume and we consume and we never contribute. That we get the sledgehammer and we strike the body and we strike the body, but we never exhort, we never lift up, we never thank you. Consumer Christianity. And I want to tell you that a gospel without repentance is not the gospel at all. Stop filling yourself up with sugar. Like we serve a diet Jesus. I'm going to serve you until I get what I need and I'm done. It must be a lifestyle. A true change in our heart that the Holy Spirit begins to do a work because we long to see that work. We long to please God. There's no denying that Jesus knew, believed, and warned against the absolute reality of hell. And if we don't accept the reality of hell, we won't rightly understand the glory of the gospel. So we're left with two options. Stay in the state of our depravity and be eternally punished, or submit to the Savior and accept his gift of redemption. Matthew 12, 30. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me will scatter. Jesus was going on and he was sharing that he's going to establish his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. And if you don't contribute, if you don't scatter with him, if you don't gather with him, then, then you're just no good. You're against him. We may have good intentions, the best intention in the world. But as long as we're comparing it to culture and society, we'll get absolutely nowhere. Psalms 138 verse 2, it says, I will worship toward your holy temple. I didn't give most of these scriptures to them. It was for a reason. Psalms 138 verse 2, I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your lovingness and your truth. 
for you have magnified your word above all of your name. God makes it clear, clear that God has magnified his word above all other things. That his word is supreme. There's nothing else. It's his word or nothing. Therefore, one might rightly realize that God's word is essential to God honoring worship. Worship with our lives. What man could not do to save himself, God accomplished on the cross. He did it all. Jesus exchanged his righteousness, his holy nature for our sinful nature, that we could stand before God and be completely clean and pure. New creations. Not, 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 a, not exchange our life for, for something else. God didn't just wash us clean. It was completely new. A completely new life when we have come to Christ. God provided the perfect sacrifice for our sin. Literally perfect. In Jesus. Not because we deserved it. Not because we earned it. But because of his love, his grace, and his mercy. Only those whose natures have been changed can escape the wrath of God and live in the light of his mercy and love. If we believe these things and commit our lives to following Christ by faith, we will live eternally with him in the bliss of glory in heaven. This is the good news. God gave it all. Whether it's Old Testament, New Testament, we are to honor his word. We are to honor his glory. Uzzah touched the glory of God. And he died. I'm reminded of Herod. And they're in the stadium and they're praising God. And Herod's not a believer. You know what he did? Is he took the honor and the glory for himself. He touched the glory of God. And the Bible says that an angel touched him. Filled him, filled him with worms. And he died. You mean, oh, that's, that's Old Testament. That's New Testament. That's, uh, God doesn't kill people. There's this, it reminds me of this boat that was unsinkable, that not even God could sink. The Titanic. Guess what? It sunk. It reminds me of this, one of the most popular music groups in all of the earth. Four men. More popular than Jesus Christ himself. Couldn't take that statement back. And he died. We can't touch the glory of God. The angels with six wings cover their face. Even in heaven, they cover the face to protect themselves from his glory. And it's too much for us to get on our knees, to get in our face when God's moving. God is literally touching people, bringing deliverance, breaking old mindsets because we've grown so accustomed to his holiness, to his righteousness. The priest in the tent of meetings, the priest, they would, they would have bells on their robes when they were in the tent, when they were in the ark. They would have bells. There were people outside with a rope. They were on the other side of the rope and that rope was, 
was attached to the priest's ankle that if they heard the bells stop ringing and, and they would stop ringing because he stopped moving they know he died and they would pull him out because of a mistake that he made we don't hear this we don't hear about our mistakes we hear about how much God loves us and he's going to push you through when we're living in sin when we're standing next to the very person that we're fornicating at the altar lifting up our hands when we live with the same sex attraction going in and doing whatever it is that we want to do when we lie you remember liars Ananias and Sapphira God took their life too and we're not aware because we're not reverent enough because we don't honor the word enough and we think well it just happened in the Bible well can I tell you that there is a king that is coming on a cloud of fire on chariots and he's coming back for his people and if you're not ready you're going to be left behind this is the word of God and whether you honor it or not, it applies to you. It applies to your neighbor. It applies to Donald Trump and Joe Biden. I just divided the room right now. There's no honor. I almost went the whole time without making a joke. Sorry, Lord. I just want to please the Lord. Everyone stand to their feet. Listen, you want to please the Lord if this message spoke to you. I want to pray with you. Let's go into the presence. Let God renew your heart. You want to tap into his presence and understand the trueness and the fullness of what it is to be reverent to God. I'm opening up these altars. Let's pray. Come on, come to your seat. Don't wait for your neighbor. Father, we love you, God. all the way to the front. Make room for your brother and sister. All the way. Father, we pray, Lord, right now. God. Holy Spirit, do your work. You're going to touch your people. You're going to work out your salvation with trembling and fear. Will you begin to just cry out to the Lord and repent of your sins? Will you begin to say, Lord, I'm sorry for everything that I have made it other than you. I'm sorry, God, that I put other things before my ministry. I'm sorry that I put other things before my family. I'm sorry that I put everything in front of you, that I have created false idols, that I have worshipped other things, that I give more time and attention to the things of the world, that I give time and attention to your son, that I give time and attention to what it is that you are doing in my life. We begin to cry out to the Lord. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Reach Church Paramount. To stay connected with us, follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Reach Paramount. To give and support this podcast and ministry, visit our website at reachparamount.com slash give.